You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. As Joe said, we are going to start a series this morning on money. On money specifically, even more so than giving, actually the issue of money in our lives, in our world. And I want to set it up actually by diving right into Scripture. Luke chapter 16, if you have your Bible, because there's a backstory to this series. This, this series has actually been brewing in my heart for several months as the Lord has had our church on a journey specifically in dealing with our finances. The Lord has been speaking to me as pastor of this church. And um, so I'm excited. I've been excited over the last several months as the Lord's just been downloading this stuff in my heart. I'm excited to finally share it with you. So this passage, Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 13, I really, it's really the theme passage. And, um, and so I want to start there. It says, one who's faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And it's that true riches that's been uh, just resounding in my heart now for several months. True riches are what we are contending for as a church in our city. It's riches that last. It's actually to make a mark in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our family, in our kids' lives, in our extended family. The true riches, things that actually last. But he says, you'll never be entrusted with the true riches if you can't get, what? Unrighteous wealth right, correctly. And we're going to unpack this. I'm going to preach my whole sermon before I even finish the passage. But verse 12, it says, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? And Jesus deals with the heart. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Cuts to the heart. So I want to tell the backstory in this passage. I stepped into this role as lead pastor uh, 18 months ago. It's February 2017. I was honored for you guys to say, yeah, we want Drew to be our pastor. I was, I was, I was honored. And honestly, I love what I do. I wake up every day excited to come to work and excited about the, God, the things that God is calling us to do as a church. And I was fully aware when I stepped into this role, I was fully aware that we had around $280,000 in property debt, but I was not aware of the fact that we were paying interest only on our debt. I was not aware of the fact that we had $10,000 in unpaid bills to vendors around our city, including utilities. I was not aware of the fact that we had $23,000 in unpaid missionary commitments. That means 11 months of commitments to missionaries on the front lines that we had not paid. And, And as I started... Uh, uncovering the, the layers of where we were at, I, it brought me to my knees. And not for a moment because I doubted God's call on me stepping into this for a moment. Not for a moment did I doubt that God was in it. But I had to declare my dependence on God. Say, God, this has to be you. You're the one who has to provide. And so as soon as you declare, God, you're a provider in my life, that is not a, a cop-out for passivity where you just sit back and wait for him to pay your bills for you. 
No, you do the right thing. You, you walk in diligence and discipline. You tighten your belt. You tighten your expenses. And that's exactly what we did as a church. We, we, we made a budget and we st- stuck to the budget. We started kicking butt with our debt. We got $10,000 of those unpaid bills taken care of really quickly. We started paying principal and interest on our, on our uh, mortgage. And then we started... Then we started doing the right thing, make retribution with our missionaries who for 11 months had gone without from us. We started one by one paying back those missionaries to make things right over the course of the, of the next uh, year, really. Until just a few months ago, our church secretary came to me and, and she said we had finally gotten to the place in our balance in the checking account that we, we could write our final check for our missions commitments, those the back pay, that is. We were paying our monthly commitments ever since last, last summer, but to, to make this retribution. She said, the, the balance is there. Honestly, I shut the door to my office. I, I had knelt down on the, on, 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 in front of my couch there in my office, and I just started to weep before the Lord, just thanking him for his provision. Lord, thank you just for, for being with us day by day, day, by day in the difficult um, minutia of making, the right, uh, making right that which had gone wrong. And it was there on the couch that the Lord spoke to me about this passage. He said, Drew, these are the little things. And I said, oh, I know, God. Lord, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Of course, these are the little things. You can provide $23,000 in a moment. He can pay back $10,000. Our $280,000 in mortgage, he could take care of it tomorrow. Those are the little things. But then he repeated it to me. He said, Drew, no, these are the little things. And he brought me to remembrance, uh, Luke chapter 16. He brought to my remembrance the fact that if, I, if we can't get the little things right, which is our handling of unrighteous wealth, then we won't be entrusted with the true riches. So this matters. How we deal with our finances matters. If you want your life to count, it matters. And this applies to everybody in this place. It doesn't matter your net worth. All of us have to deal with the inner recesses of our heart and the issues of money. There's probably not a single day that goes by in which you don't have to either handle money or think about money in some capacity. It is a, it is a necessary evil of our world, which Jesus himself categorizes as, is, he categorizes it as that. He ca- categorizes it as uh, unrighteous wealth. It's just a, an, a worldly system that we have to Uh, abide to in this world. But we have to get it right if we want to be entrusted with the true riches of the kingdom of God. So this morning, my message is going to be a little different. Given the backstory of how dear this is to my heart, I want to kind of set the groundwork for the next several weeks. Because we're going to talk about this for five weeks as we deal specifically with the hard issue of money and how how we steward it well before the Lord, individually and as a church. And I'm, I'm believing that as we get this right, God's going to just unleash the blessings of heaven upon us. Individually and corporately as a church, that we're going to see breakthrough. As I have declared upon our church in 2018, I believe 2018 is a year of breakthrough. That doesn't just mean the miraculous in an instant. It also means we do the right things in the, in the little moments. And then God provides abundantly and generously as we do the right things. So I want to start with this. The reality that money is an issue of the heart. It's irrelevant to your net worth, 
Doesn't mean it doesn't matter if you're the richest person in this place or you're the poorest person in this place. We all have to wrestle through the hard issue of money, which is our tendency towards pride and greed. If you have a lot, you can still fall into the trap of it never being enough and comparing yourself to what other what somebody else has. And if you are without, you can always feel this insecurity that if I had more, then I would be more secure in this world. But it's a lie. Money is an issue of the heart. And I want us to just own that. I want us to grapple with that because that's why Jesus taught so often about money. He actually references money in 15% of his teachings, which is twice as much, or no, it's, it's more than heaven and hell combined that he references money. In the entire Bible, the Bible references money 2,000 times. In just uh, as a comparison, the Bible references prayer 500 times. It references uh, faith around 500 times. And yet, it references money, just this necessary evil of this world, more than 2,000 times. We have to get it right, this issue of the heart. And Jesus, he invites us into dealing with this issue of the heart. At the end of this passage in Luke 16, he says that we cannot have a divided heart. You cannot serve both God and money. It's an impossibility. So he invites us into this, this wrestling through this issue of money. And I would say one of the, the quickest antidotes for uh, dealing with the issue of money in our heart is giving. It is by giving. It's the, it's the quickest way to rid ourselves of selfishness and greed. It's to give it away. To give it to someone else, to bless someone else. Every time we do that, we are, we're imitating God. Which then leads to my second point, that we give because God gave. The only reason we are able to give is because God first gave to us. God is an extravagant giver. And so we unlock this, this human potential when we give, when we imitate God's character in his generosity. And you may ask the question, how can God give? Doesn't he have everything and he can, he can never be without? He can never lack. That, that may seem to be true, and it is true that he is completely self-sufficient. He is in, in need of nothing or no one. But then there's this mystery of the gospel in which God gave to the point of him, it costing him much. It's a mystery that we can never fully wrap our minds around, but John 3.16, you're familiar with it. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave heaven's best. He gave heaven's very best. Heaven went bankrupt for humanity as a declaration of his love and his generosity towards us. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2 then says, it's because of who God, it's because God gave that then we give. He says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love. As Christ lo loved us and he gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So yes, God can give, and God did give. He gave extravagantly. And every time you and I, we rid ourselves of selfishness and greed, and we give to someone else, we are stepping into that imitation of God's character and who God is and his story of redemption. So thirdly, 
God is cheering for you. He wants you to pass the test. God has not been silent about the issue of money at all. I made that clear in how many times the Bible references money, how many times Jesus gets to the heart of the issue of money. God is cheering for you. He wants you to pass the test. And that's why I have, uh, I have been looking forward to, uh, for us as a church, stepping into this series in these, um, in these next few weeks is because I know God is inviting us into this, into this breakthrough in our finances. He wants us to pass the test. He's made no buts about it. He's, there's no mystery in it. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Verses 19 through 21 in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus recalibrates us with the value system of heaven. He says, Do you not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal? But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. God's all about you laying up treasures. He really is. It's just the right kind of treasures. Where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is a gift to you. So just receive the gift of Jesus. He is making a revelation to you that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. As Pastor Robert Morris says, where there's a string between your heart and your wallet. If you want to know what your priorities are, you can look at where you spend your money, at, at your budget. You can see very quickly where your, where your heart is. Jesus is simply making a revelation for us. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. That actually doesn't have to be a condemning thing. It's simply a matter of fact. You can dial it down into very simple things of life. If you put stock in a company, maybe 24 hours prior, you had no care in the world for that company. But as soon as you put stock in that company, you have some interest in that. That's not bad necessarily just because you have an interest in it, but your heart is in it because you put your treasure there. In the same way, and trust me, I'm here because I have four kids. If you get a vehicle, all of a sudden you care about how that vehicle, its cleanliness inside of it. And, and my kids, they take toys in our car and snacks, and, and our car slowly just disintegrates you know, into, into craziness and chaos and, and mess. Because where our treasure is there, our heart is also. It is just a matter of fact of, of life. And Jesus is making that revelation to us. This is a gift. Just receive that gift. Don't resist it. Where your treasure is there, your heart is also. It's because Jesus wants you to pass the test. He wants you to pass the test. He wants you to stand before him so he can declare over you, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in much, or you've been faithful in little, so now we can entrust to you much the true riches of the kingdom of heaven. In two weeks, I'm going to share a message, one of the more important messages in the series, on tithing, specifically the principle from Genesis to Revelation of tithing, the giving of the first of our 10% to the Lord. It's an issue that's often misunderstood in our current day, in our culture of uh, we've, we've done very well at declaring the gospel of grace, and so in that, there has been a, a skewed message of grace that has nixed certain principles that are so clearly laid out from Genesis to Revelation. And tithing is one of those that has gotten nixed in our generation. And I want us to talk about that in two weeks. 
But tithing is a gift to us. It's a principle that if we begin to walk in this discipline of giving God what is already his, the first fruits of our, of our labors, it sets in motion a posture of our heart that can be pleasing to him. So back in Luke 16, the theme passage of this, of this entire series, the true riches of the kingdom of heaven. He says in that, when he gets to the heart, he says, you cannot serve both God and money. And that word money is a Greek word, mamana, and it comes from a, it's actually derived from an Aramaic term or like a Jewish term, mammon. Maybe you've heard of that if you've been in church circles. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon comes from this Jewish idea of the, the idol of money. That money is this, is this, um, this key to security in this world. That if I just had more, then I would, then I'd be better. I'd, I'd be in a better situation if I just had more money. Jesus says you cannot serve both him and that idol of mammon. Or if my life would have so many less problems if I just had more money. That is the idol of mammon. This has just been revealed to me over the years. I'm so thankful for my upbringing. I really am. I'll bring you a little bit into my personal story in the area of money, which I'm still fully, fully in. I grew up in a, in a home that affirmed the principle of tithing and giving. And I actually remember when my dad first gave me an allowance and sat down and talked to me about the principle of tithing. He said, Drew, this is what a tithe is. And we set this aside, and he did the simple math with a small amount of an allowance. And as a kid, you, you hear it, and then you begin to observe people around you. And I began to hear other adults that I respected greatly affirm the principle of tithing and giving. And I noticed about their lives a, a blessing that followed them and an authority that followed them that I greatly respected. Purely anecdotal evidence, not research-based in any way, just simply as a child trying to put two and two together, figure out for yourself what you believe. I began to realize their message and then the fruit that followed their lives, and I greatly respected it. But then I ventured out into life on my own, started a family on my own. Me and my wife were newlyweds, actually. We were going to move out to Seattle. I was going to take a job as an engineer. So we're moving away from our home and everyone we knew, really. And both me and my wife, which was, it was a significant moment, we both felt compelled to give away one of our vehicles to a kid that was in our church who was raised by a single parent. He didn't have much, and we didn't know him very well, but we both felt compelled to give him a vehicle. We, we gave the vehicle to him. And I remember the, the significance for, for me and my wife as we started a new trajectory for our married life. That we said, this is what we want our life to be about. This sort of just radical obedience to the prompting of the Lord. Instead of clinging to things, just, just responding to the prompting of the Lord. I, I didn't know, we didn't know that he, he had been saving his money slowly but surely. He was only 17 years old. His mom could not afford a car for him, but he had been saving his money for that vehicle, and then God just provided for him. He was in our youth group, and we, we, we loved seeing the fruit of God in his life. 
But that started a trajectory for our lives. We've given away other vehicles. And can I tell you as well, we don't, we don't give to get, but God blesses you when you, when you show that you can, be, when you can be entrusted with very little. We've been given two vehicles as well. Actually, the van we drive today was a gift to us. And so we don't give to get, we give to give, and God gave to us. We give just because it's a joy to give. So God's had me in that journey. And I've never wanted to leave it. We, we still don't have it perfected. But I've even noticed in my intimacy with the Lord, my relationship with Jesus, it's so much more fun. There's such an adventure of living with God when you can be prompted in a moment to give sacrificially and give radically in love to someone else. So lastly, I want to focus on the title of this series, True Riches. So you kind of understand the heart issue. Jesus is concerned with our heart. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't, but he wants your heart. He wants to rule and reign. We, we declare that all hail King Jesus. He wants to rule and reign in the deepest places of your life, which includes your heart. And you can't serve both God and money there. But then he gives us this promise that if, if in, your, in, the, in your, the deepest parts of your heart you can prove, you can show, you can demonstrate that he rules and reigns, he's going to entrust you with the true riches of the kingdom of heaven. So it begs the question, what are the true riches of the kingdom of heaven? If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 2. What are the true riches of the kingdom of heaven? What is it that heaven values? What's, what's heaven, heaven's value system like? Ephesians chapter 2, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That sounds very apocalyptic almost, but it's just the enemy, Satan and his minions. Um, like we, were, we were all subject to that. That's where we were. Or maybe you even today, you're currently, you're, you're not a follower of Christ. That is where we all were, or we all are, if you are not a follower of Jesus. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We're all subject to the judgment of God. He is holy. We are not. But God, being what? Rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The true riches of the kingdom are people. It's humanity. You can understand the value system of heaven if you just get a glimpse of the gospel, the goodness of Jesus. That he came and pursued. He, he, he left his throne and the riches of heaven to pursue what? Humanity. And we will be entrusted with actual eternal riches of heaven when we invest in people that's what heaven emptied itself for humanity this might be a mystery to you 
Why does God need us? Why does God need my money to be a blessing to someone else, to unlock something in their life that changes their eternal destiny? I don't know. You would think God and his sovereignty, as soon as you commit your life to Christ, you just go immediately to heaven. That's not God's mysterious plan, though. We see here in Ephesians 2, it is his, it is, it is his, his delight and his glory to reveal the love of God through you, the riches of his mercy and his grace. It's your testimony in your life that gets to be the riches of his mercy and his grace to others around you. Storing up treasures in heaven. Begin investing in this heavenly uh, Everything else will go. You can think value most is money. Humans are trafficked like a commodity, like they are worthless. People are lied to and deceived for a quick buck, for a fleeting dollar. In the kingdom of heaven, it's all flipped on head. Money is the thing we walk on. It's the streets of gold. It's, it's like meaningless. It's, it's almost worthless. It's, it's, it's nothing. The standard of living, he's preparing for you a place to live in. You're going to have a secure place to live. But it's humanity. They get one single shot at this life to then spend eternity with their King Jesus. The riches, the riches that you can find in humanity, in people. So I want us to store up treasures in heaven by investing in people. A city that, that, that doesn't know Jesus a generation of young people that need to encounter God, the nations that need to hear. You can think of it like this. Think of yourself, imagine yourself moving to a foreign country. Let's say you're going to move to France for six months. If you're going to live in this foreign country for, you know, for a very short period of time, you're going to live accordingly, right? You're not going to buy a bunch of bulky furniture and fill a a four-bedroom house with a bunch of stuff no, you'll probably live pretty simply. You'll, you'll live in such a way that you, you want to bring as much as you can back to the United States, back home. You don't want to lose a bunch of money because of depreciation. You're, you're living according to the plan, which is a very short period of time. And that is a way longer than the scale of eternity, the perspective of eternity. Our lives are but a speck, but a vapor in light of eternity. And so we have the opportunity invest, to invest in the one thing that actually lasts for eternity. It's a human life. Proverbs chapter 23, verses 4 through 5, it says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. I want you, the next time you're walking through Walmart or walking through the car lot, imagine that thing that you just purchased, sprouting wings and flying off. That's what it's like. You know, we still have to buy things. You know, I'm still going to live in a house and buy a vehicle. We still need to do those things. But it matters how we handle. The unrighteous wealth of this world matters. It's so fleeting. So why don't we think creatively and innovatively? We can make more money than the world makes because we're going to invest it in people. We're going to give it radically. We're going we're to be so in, uh, in intimacy and relationship with the Holy Spirit that in a moment we can give it all. We can sell it all. I'd love someday to give my house away, give all my things away, to invest in somebody else's life if I'm prompted by the Holy Spirit. I think the Lord was setting me up this week, honestly, 
I met with four missionaries this week, and I normally don't meet with that many missionaries. But I had the privilege, and as the, as the week came to an end, I, I said, wow, I met with a lot of missionaries this week. So I met with four missionaries. I'll just give you a, a glimpse of the eternal, tri- the, the eternal riches that we have just at our fingertips as a church to invest in wholeheartedly, radically, and dream big about. I met with a missionary to South Africa. They feed more than 11,000 kids on a weekly basis. This is in one of the poorest regions near the, uh, the border of Mozambique, one of, the, one of the poorest regions of South Africa. And we, have, we would have the opportunity to invest in kids' lives by, by get, actually giving them sustenance to, to learn and, and think and, and live life. It breaks my heart, but that's the opportunity we have to invest in somebody else's life. I met with missionaries to Thailand. A young couple, they want to give their lives to a region of Thailand that missiologists consider never reached, meaning there's no history of missionaries ever going to this region. There's unreached people groups, and then there's the never reached regions. This is one of those regions. I met with a, a couple, actually an individual going to Cairo, Egypt. Obviously a difficult place. I met with a, another individual going to northern Cameroon to, to reach unreached people groups. The Bible has just been translated into this tribe's language. Now they have the opportunity to go and work amongst these people. That's the stuff that lasts. Get this right. We have, as the week went on and I reached the end of the week, I was like, just well, we have to get that right so we can really be of debt quickly. So we can start throwing that $2,000 a month to other things personal finances in a row in such a radical their goods and their possessions for what for the mission for the mission the mission that's that's the true riches of the kingdom of heaven that god is calling us to so i couldn't help but end the week saying i know we have to get this right a burning conviction in my heart to stand before you and talk about a touchy subject of money i know money is very personal we all kind of get a little antsy when we talk about money but I know God set me up. He set me up. The time is now. Our lives are short. We have to get this right. But everyone just stand in this place. I want us to respond to the Lord. You just bow your heads and close your eyes. I want us to respond to the Lord. This message really sets us up for the next several weeks as we talk about money, how we handle our money. I want us to think differently. I want us to think biblically. I want us to humble ourselves before King Jesus and say, okay, okay, God, I, I trust you. I can't serve both you and money. So I submit myself to you. Maybe this morning before you leave, you just need to have a moment with King Jesus and pray that simple prayer of trust, security in him making a declaration before King Jesus that you want to be fully his and not have a divided heart. Just take a moment right now and just respond to King Jesus. Deal with any issues in your heart that you want to confess before him.
thank you for opening your eyes. Thank you for opening our eyes to the revelation of your word, for revealing to us just our own heart connection to the treasures of this world. And right now, God, we take a moment to surrender ourselves to you, saying, God, it's yours. It's never ours in the first place. It's yours. Lord, I pray that you would take us into territory that's maybe a new territory, but it's territory that really unlocks the treasures of heaven over our church and over our families, over our marriages. We're unlocking the true riches of heaven. We're beginning to store up more and more treasures in heaven, beginning to invest more and more in people. We budget accurately. We save emphatically. We invest in things wisely, not to acquire wealth for ourselves, but instead to make the most impact in the shortest period of time, to be radically submitted and obedient to your ways and your will, Lord, for our lives. We pray that prayer. We submit ourselves to you, Jesus. Everyone just yeah, keep their eyes closed, their, their heads bowed for a moment. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus. If you're in this place and you say, Drew, I want to get the money thing right, but I'm here this morning. I don't even have a relationship with Jesus. I just need to get things right with God. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to surrender your life to Christ. Start a new trajectory. Start a new walk with Christ. Have a relationship with the King of the universe. It's honestly the best thing you can do with your life. If that's you in this place, you'd say, yeah, Drew, I want to surrender my life to Christ. Would you raise your hand in this place? I want to make things right with King Jesus. I want Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord. Awesome. Awesome. If you raise your hand, honestly, even if you didn't, you can pray this prayer. Lord, this morning, I choose to surrender my life to you. A savior, sufficient solution for my life and my sin issues. I choose to surrender all that I am to you. I want you to be Lord and master. I want you to be everything. Today, I want to start a relationship with you, Jesus. No turning back. In your mighty name. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.